Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fail to Fail podcast, where we try to find motivation through stories of people and how they went from a, uh, I don't know, let's say a rough start, if you will, or not exactly where, um, I guess what I like to say is where people of authority, whether it's teachers, um, guidance counselors, adults in the neighborhood, your society, your community, they kind of know who you are, you kind of have your reputation, or you're not living up to their expectations, and people don't think you really have much of a future. <clears throat> Perhaps you're like me, and you had an LD, you're diagnosed with a learning disability, and so they began at a young age to uh, teach you how to do menial tasks, so that hopefully, maybe, you can uh, squeeze a, a decent life out for yourself, and uh, they really have no anticipation of you doing anything of any true value. And, uh, well, I like to find people who maybe started out a little rough, um, or they had a rough start as far as their environment, where they grew up, and despite all the um, negativity or strife in their life, they found a way to uh, find their way out, find their own path, and find success on their own terms. And uh, I think tonight we're going to bring on my brother, Gordon. You guys may have heard him on the Waterman and D-Train show. He has uh, come a long way. He's got his uh, shit together, if you will. And uh, we're just going to get into that a little bit and uh, see where it goes. How you doing, Gordon? Doing all right. Doing all right. How you doing? I am well. I had to... uh, Speaking of failing, the carpenters who flipped my house did a horrible job. And we had noticed a while back that the two screws holding in the top of my brand new cabinets, well, let's just say they weren't screwed into the stud. And so as you look at my cabinets, when the cabs would jump on top of them, where they butt up against the wall, there's about a quarter inch gap at the top because the whole top screws were just pulling out. So I had to get out the stud finder today and reinstall at least the top part of my cabinets to prevent them from tumbling down onto my marble countertop and destroying all of my dishes. But uh, that's, that's life. People suck. Yes, they do, and I've actually run into that while working on a very expensive second, third, or fourth home up in Big Sky. When I did my electrical apprentice, it was up there, ship, it was up there. We did a lot of high-end custom homes, and uh, one of them, when we were installing the under-cabinet lights, was pulling off. And these guys used drywall screws, mm-hmm. and they didn't even hit the hit the stud. It was crazy. Yeah, it's really disappointing, especially, you know, you would think when... Well, you would hope that when someone's flipping a house, granted they want to keep their costs down to keep their profits high, but you figure they want to pre- present you with a quality end product. But we're kind of getting off into the uh, home improvement aspect of life, and that's not where we're intended to be here. So let's kind of roll back time a little bit. Uh, this will be an interesting episode because a lot of this will have to do with me and my childhood as well. <clears throat> but you and I were uh, born in Kentucky. What year were you Absolutely. born? I was born in 74. Uh, I remember more of the Richwood house than you think I would. We uh, we were there for a while, I think, till at least 9 or 10 my age. Now, obviously, uh, those listening have no idea what the Richwood house is, but that's right. We'll happily explain it to them. Basically, um, my family, at least my mom's side of the family, they were um, doing pretty well for themselves before the Great Depression. They had lots of property. They had uh, a handful of companies. But as the uh, Depression hit, much like everybody else, um, all the stocks, the value of the dollar, all the currency fell through the floor. 
And so my relatives found themselves in a precarious situation where they were now liquid poor, but they had a fair amount of property around the area. And so um, at certain point, my mom and my father, they moved into an old farmhouse in Richwood, Kentucky, which is right off of Interstate 71. Um, and maybe we're 75 transitions into 71, a little bit south of Cincinnati, Ohio. And nowadays it is now a... Pilot truck stop, a White Castles, a defunct Holiday Inn, and I think maybe even a second pilot truck stop. Because um, in the late, well, no, early 2000s, late 90s, my grandparents finally sold that property off because, you know, as I explained earlier, um, our family became um, money rich and um, property, I mean, money poor and property rich. And so we were living in basically, what would you say, about, I don't know, a, a farmhouse that was built in probably early 1900s? I believe uh, it was discussed, and this is reaching back through the recesses of my mind, that that thing was pretty near 90 years old when we were living in it. So uh, we moved out in probably early 80s, 80, 81, and uh, it sat abandoned for a while, rented. I think it was even turned into a haunted house, which goes into another story for another time with that whole property. But uh, yeah, it was... um, I tell you what, it was really cool. I'm glad we grew up there. We got to see see some cool things. You know, I, I know we used to hang out down at the ed, end of the property and just watch the semis come in and thought that was cool shit, you know, as kids. Yeah, we'd stake claim to a certain semi truck, and then, of course, you'd say, no, that one's mine. You get that old beater from the from the 60s. I get the cool one. It looks like it just pulled off of the set from uh, Smoking the Bandit. <laughs> you know, big brother. There's a rule book. Yeah. Absolutely. And, well... It's interesting you say, you know, talking about growing up on the farm. I still to this day have a a uh, palate or a fl- uh, a taste for raw potatoes <clears throat> and raw tomatoes. And a lot of people look at me when I peel a potato and just put a little salt on it and start snapping into it. Like, what the is this guy doing? But as I explain to people, when you grow up poor in the 70s and 80s and you live on a farm, well, you tend to grow a lot of your own food, and so as a kid, you know, when we got hungry, we'd either eat raw tomatoes out of the refrigerator, or our mom would peel a potato and hand us some salt and say, go to town. Yep, this is what we got. It's what you're eating. You Absolutely. Know? So we're going to fast forward a little bit. What kind of student were you throughout your um, educational career, whether it's middle school, elementary school, and high school? Horrible. Um, I would pass all the tests, but I just wasn't there. I was bored out of my skull from what i understand i uh, one of the reasons we went to walton is they needed to get me in a classroom with no windows because anytime something would happen outside the window my attention was snapped so nowadays Uh, you would have been diagnosed with add and hopped up on a lot of medications probably i've been asking mom about that and through her lens uh i was kind of climbing on crap all the time she couldn't keep me to settle down so if I was do the layman math, yeah, I, I would agree. Google would probably say yes. Yeah, all riddle end up. Yeah, glad I didn't, though. <laughs> but, I mean, through your school career, you weren't the strongest student, but you did find outlets for some of your energy and passion. You got involved into music early on, correct? Yeah, well, we come from a fairly musical family. Um, Dad still plays keys to this day. And I'm glad he's uh, almost rediscovered that passion. You know, his side of the family is very musical. We've got a cousin who uh, masters in in, uh, in music and, and other arts surrounding it, including therapy. So it, it's a you know pretty 
pretty standard fare, for, I think, for our family to, to find an outlet and see uh, where the creativity takes them. Now, early on, um, right around the time we lived in the Richwood house, our parents got divorced. And um, Dad did well. He found his own way, um, despite growing up and living in the area in which we did. He and our stepmother, you know, they they wanted to find opportunity, and they weren't going to restrict themselves by a geographical location. <clears throat> and so they found opportunity up in Columbus, Ohio, and took us up there. But um, meanwhile, the other side of our family, you know, they, they stayed in Kentucky, and at that time, you know, the economy wasn't the greatest. There wasn't a whole hell of a lot of work down there other than, you know, tobacco farms and warehouse work and, you know, trying to find a, a skilled trade. But for a young woman recently divorced, <clears throat> trying to find her way in the world and, and trying to find um, people to associate with, sometimes bad choices come along. And, and, you know, and, and when, you, when you come from a family that is now, as I stated before, you know, struggling somewhat financially but having lots of property, you kind of always had a place to land when it came to um, having a roof over your head because you, your family had a bunch of different properties and different houses. And so it really wasn't um, dire, if you will, to go out and find a tremendously um, successful career opportunity. Because once again, you know, you're 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 shacking up in in one of your family's properties. You really don't have to worry too much about rent at that point. You're you're worried about food and and entertainment. And so, whereas our father was out trying to chase down a career to provide better for his family, you know, our mother was kind of trying to find her way and sort out her own problems and deal with her own demons that, that she didn't really um, expire to the higher level of career opportunities. And so that presented a very interesting um, dichotomy for us growing up because in the summertime we would spend our, our school year with our father and our stepmother who worked quite a lot. But in the summertime we would go down to our mom's house where things were a little more laxed, if you will. And, um, some of the influences as far as outside people coming in weren't exactly the best. And so we, we got an early start on basically an education on which way do you want to go in life. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to back up a little bit on that house uh, or, or the property, the safety net that's there that as I've aged and, and have actually removed myself from all safety nets to say, look, dude, you're going to do it or not. You got to do it. Um, I think the safety net at the end of the day is more harm than good. But, well, uh, you well, know, that, that, I, yeah. w- I would completely agree with you because I turned 18, I bounced out of dad's house, and at that point he moved to Texas. And so, and you were already in Montana, which we'll get to here shortly. And so I really didn't have a safety net other than, you know, a long distance phone call and begging to have money wired to us. But I think you would agree, you, uh, you myself, and our sister Lisa. Um, primarily me and you, we kind of had too much pride to ask for help. And so, Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's one of the things, one of the, one of the hardest lessons for me to learn. And and the thing I hated to hear was dad saying, nobody's going to help you, but you, you know what? He's fucking right. Absolutely. Uh, We got to see, we did get the benefit of seeing both sides of the tracks. Absolutely. Um, you know, mom, Unfortunately, had probably too much safety nets and allowed her a little too much freedom to kind of drift. To um, find herself. And, and find herself and, and to be able to reel herself back. And then, so she was kind of on the system, 
you know, we got to see that and experience that. And then dad who just worked, worked, worked. Well, not so much her as much as her friends. I mean, it wasn't oh, just yeah. her. Oh it was, it was her, her group of friends. They, they found a way to take advantage of every system that was out there, whether it was HUD, food stamps, uh, disability, whatever. And so where, you know, she had the safety net of her family, um, for whatever reason, whether it was through high school or just associations as she grew older, some of the people she chose to live with, they, um, you know, they didn't have the safety net, but they also didn't have the drive to do anything. They just found a way to, to obtain money any way they could without actually having to work a full-time job. And so when you have those influences around you and around your kids, um, a lot of times when people are in that situation, in that mindset, they offset their depression or um, lack of satisfaction through drinking and other forms of self-medication so they don't have to really deal with the daily um, hardships that come along with that lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, I kind of refer to it as, you know, and this is going to be politically or socially incorrect, but the train of tards. Um, yeah, I get it. It was a lot more the rebellious biker nature however i don't think i ever seen anybody ride a bike yeah they're bikeless bikers <laughs> the biker it is so bad it's like a skateboardless dave yeah exactly <laughs> so but yeah so you know i think one of the things i look back at right now is the difficulties we face with divorced parents in that time uh getting to see both sides of the tracks definitely put us on the right path um for the most part, I, um, well, at a certain point, dad basically realized that, you know, we had seen both sides and he said, you know, at this stage, it's up to them. I've done everything I can do. I've tried to set the example working all the time. And, you know, we kind of resented that as most rebellious youth do when, you know, your father's never around and when he is around, he's tired because he'd been working all day plus going to college at night. And so, you know, we, we kind of had, you know, rebellious tendencies and we'd go out and and act a fool and, and get in trouble. But, um, you know, as the hard part is, is when you're, you're young and you're trying to find yourself and you're trying to be a nonconformist in the nineties and you're wanting to be your own person, and let your freak flag fly. Problem is when you have some of the influences that we saw down in Kentucky, it seemed more favorable or more enticing to go that route. No worries, man. What I got to worry about? I'm here. I'm breathing. Let's go get drunk. Let's, you know, not worry about everything else and, you know, live half homeless. But, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's insane. That's for sure. And so at a certain point, you know, you're, like I said, you got involved in music and you're working your way through high school. And you graduated high school, but, you know, you weren't, you're far from at the top of your class. I think, you know, you, you basically got your credits like I did and just got the fuck out of Dodge. Absolutely. That's all I did. And you know what, though? When I w went to tech school, my grades really turned around because it was something I was interested in. I Unfortunately, I went for graphic arts, which was formerly known as lithographic printing. And by the time I got out, the well, I tried it. To be quite honest, I went and I, I did my first printing job. I just wasn't feeling it. I was like, I don't know if I could do this for twenty years. You well, know? well, while you're yeah. at, when you're at school, you know they they bombard you with the glamour side. Oh, you could be laying out magazines and 
and doing all this stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, you end up, you know, doing print ads for the local newspaper and mag, you know, and things like that. Not the, not the cool Thrasher magazine or Spin magazine or Rolling Stone or any of the cool shit you wanted to do. But not that it mattered anyhow, because a short five and a half years, a, a little program got super popular called uh, Adobe Photoshop. Yep, absolutely. I tell you what, working on those lithographic, you're fighting and a water and ink balance the whole time, and air and everything else, and. That thing keeps you on your toes, and I'm just like, no, nah, this is going to get monotonous quick. I know i got to learn the thing, but I just wasn't feeling it. You know, um, It was right after I graduated. Uh, everybody took off for, uh, I think, land, lake, land between the lakes in Kentucky. I was up there, and uh, here I am, freshly out of high school. Family's gone. I'm 18, 19, you know, going on 19. What am I going to do? Your car's a piece of shit. I think at that point you had to park it on a hill just because the clutch, you know, the starter went out. In order to get it to run, you had to put it in neutral and and start it up that way. Yeah, no, I actually still had the truck at that point. Okay. But it is that when I left that printing company and I lost the truck. So it was great. You know, I I had truck payments. Parents helped me get a truck to help teach me responsibility. But, you know, uh, just... Not knowing, you know, we're an emotional mess at that point in time in our lives, right? We don't know what we're thinking, if we're thinking at all. You know, hormones are running you know, us and everything else, uh, trying to be liked, being, you know, hanging out with a, a group of kids that you, you think are cool. Chasing tail. Chasing tail, exactly. So you, out you just kind of don't care. And, you know, out looking for the next good time, the next party. Absolutely. And I was pretty rudderless at that point in time, and I almost went into the Marine Corps, and I didn't. Did have an issue with my back. Um, I have an extra lumbar vertebrae, uh, um, so it gives a little extra strain on my back. But you know, I just mom helped talk me out of it too. I I think sure. it was just one of those things. Uh, made mad, dad mad. We're we're down in Kentucky now. You know, yeah. Hanging in a trailer went from a middle class to a trailer. Yep, from uh, middle middle class to uh, middle lower class, or even perhaps <laughs> lower lower class at that point. I hit the safety net. Yep. So, and and, you um, know, and and good for our grandparents for having that safety net available. But so now, right. you still have the, you know, you're vehicleless. You have no extended form of education, and and at the, you know, it's you hear it a lot now, but even back then, you know, it was if you don't go to college, you're not going to do a damn thing with your life. Uh, your grades suck. Um, you can't keep a job. You can't pay your bills. What are you going to do? Um, and so, you know, not just parents, but just kind of the community in general kind of like almost shit on him. And, and let's not forget back then a huge influence on our life was skateboarding. Oh, absolutely. And now skateboarding uh, in the 1990s in Columbus, Ohio was not, I repeat, was not socially acceptable. We didn't live in California. We didn't live in Florida. We lived in Cowtown, USA. And our generation was still in our 16s and younger. So we weren't running Madison Avenue. We weren't creating X Games and, and bringing, shining the light on Tony Hawk and Bam Margera yet. All those guys are still young. And so the people who were running Madison Avenue and pop culture, they were, you know, the baby boomers. And so you had a very few outlets um, where skateboarding was available to you, whether it's through magazines or VHS tapes. And same with snowboarding. You and I got involved with snowboarding very early on. And we were the motorcycle gang of the ski industry. At least that's how we were looked upon. Yeah. And actually, I think skateboarding led me to where I am today um, at the end of the day. Because 
through that period, you know, it was a bunch of crap jobs. But one thing that was constant is you and I would go down to Dodge Park. Yeah, but once boom, again, boom, as far boom, as boom. the outside observer looking in, now we're just uh, punk skateboarders as well. I've had teachers oh, give absolutely. me attitude for skateboarding. And so not only were we dumb, not only did we were we poor students, um, but we're also degenerate skateboarders who were out destroying property and probably doing drugs and breaking in cars. So that's at least how we were looked upon. Exactly. Yeah, it was every you're all a bunch of Daryls. You're a bunch of derelicts. That's all uh all you're good for. But, you know, some of us were I saw you drive I, I drove by you. I, on, I think you and I were pretty good kids to be quite honest. Yeah, but see and that's the thing that we're talking about the optics of it. The you know, people's view of us. You know, I had long hair down on my shoulders this in the 90s. Oh, I drove by and saw you uh, talking to the police the other day because you know they were harassing you, kicking you out of a skateboarding place. We lived in a semi-small community at that point. I mean, it's it's huge now. But it was small enough that, you know, you got in any sort of trouble. People found out about it quick. And so, yeah, and they so did. <laughs> you had that part of it, too. And so you're trying to figure out, what the hell am I going to do with my life? Because everybody I've talked to basically thinks I'm up shit creek without a paddle. And I'll be lucky to work, a, you know, loading trucks, which you and I both did. Or, you know, working for waterbed and stuff, loading dildos into boxes to ship out to head shops. Um, you basically, certain point, you're, you're like, what the fuck am I going to do? I was a rudderless boat in a, in a river, um, bouncing around. And that's just it. So I we were riding, you know, this is kind of where the life begins to change. We're rudderless. Everybody's just kind of blah back there. And I love Ohio. I love everybody there. But it was just a, a there's a whole weird funky vibe of just depression that i feel when i'm there hard to figure out what you want to do because nobody really seems happy it's almost like a boring episode of the twilight zone there's something going on and you just can't figure out what it is but it's not exciting enough for anybody to investigate it yep so i met this guy we were skating at a dodge park his name was david uh, we, he went by shorty he was like all of five foot two well come to find out he's a little older you know he's i think he's in his mid-20s he was a truck driver, but he was going to go on hiatus because he saved. He did the right thing. He went. He worked his ass off. He saved a bunch of money. Didn't have a family, so you go. Hey, I'm going to go to do some ski bumming this year. Well, I'm going to pause this real quick because now, now you're a younger guy. Um, we've yeah. established you're, you're in between vehicles. You're rudderless, but you and I are both horrible with cash. Anytime we'd oh, get cash, we'd go out and spend it on skateboards, t-shirts, CDs, and good times. And so. You know, here you are, you're 18, 19, you have no money, you probably don't even have a bank account, if you do, you're probably in the negative, you probably bounce a few checks, um, cell phones didn't exist back then, or what they did, well they did, but they weren't readily available, and they're, they're for, you know, doctors and lawyers, but you see this 20 year old, well 20 something, he's older than you, he not only lives the life, he, he's a rambler, he, he gets paid to travel around the country, which back then for both of us, you know, traveling was kind of a fantasy, it was, you know, uh, propped up and beautified, but he had money, he actually saved up money so that he could take off the winter and live out his dream, and, and that probably for you, as somebody who was broke as shit, uh, couldn't, you know, make a paycheck last three days, that was probably kind of a someone you looked up to a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I had already had some gear. I kind of looked out up to him. I said, you know what? This is a good chance for some adventure. You know, let's get out of here. Let's find myself as, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, we all tend to try to do it in that age range. And some people are, you know, in their 40s looking for themselves today. But uh, 
Yeah. So what's interesting, we, we everything happens. I'm like, I'll get a job. I didn't really have a job out there yet. But he, he kind of convinced me that it would be pretty easy. Resorts are always hard of for people to work, especially in the kitchen. And that's what I did a lot of was a cook. So we went out there. I got a job that day, got into the employee housing. And it was just, you know, it's like college without the school. So, you I know, everybody's was, partying. We go do a lot of hiking, you know. Uh, well, it was, the housing itself, I would say, was kind of like a land equivalent to a Navy vessel. And the reason I say that is your dorm had – two bunk beds but you guys slept in shifts just like they did in the navy so you you would you would split a room with guys who worked third shift and you worked second shift and so basically when you rolled out a rack somebody else was rolling into it absolutely and i did like that for the, the fact that it uh afforded a little privacy you know you just don't want to be on top of each other all the time and then seeing them at work at the same time so it was kind of nice but you still uh, basically that- had four people in a two bedroom room I mean, had, it, it was nah, a we, dorm room yeah we had two per room okay um there, there were some in the mountain lodge at, at that time this was what 96 uh going in what november 96 and on uh there's a bunch of people in those rooms and they were even smaller but they fortunately had their own bathroom and sink so it was high class living although it looked worse yeah but now you're 22 and you're working in a kitchen flipping omelets and Everybody's looking at you kind of as a snowboard bum. Here he is, didn't go to college. Well, let's back up a little bit. You you did try your hand at some college before you left for Montana. Yeah, um, before that, I, that's when I went to the uh, Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Cincinnati. I you know, saw one of them ads that you don't see on TV anymore that says, hey, try your hand at this. Y- you know, And I saw it when I was uh, you know working shit uh, fast food jobs at night. I'd see it during the daytime, and it caught my attention. And I was always interested in radio. Don't necessarily have the voice for it, but you know, uh, I said, "Let's go for it." And uh, I did. And I was on that grind for a while. Uh, we got up to. I ended up moving back to Ohio. I think in the last month or so of school, got an internship at the six ten WTVN. So now I, you know, went out. That helped hook me up with some nice clothes. Went to do the internship. Got to drive, the, you know, the the station's car with their car phone at the time. Ooh, van driver. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, at that age, I thought that was great. That was cool. But it just uh, wasn't much money. I didn't make. Well, it's an internship. Thing. One, radio's synonymously cheap. But two, you're an intern, so that means there's no pay at all, and they're going to utilize you for everything they can because you're free labor. Yeah, the sales pitch on that is you get paid in education. This is, you know, the best experience you can have, which was cool. I mean, I got to interview uh, Governor Voinovich. Uh, I got to interview a couple of people, did some man-on-the-street stuff, went down to a free Leonard Piltier um, (laughs) rally. (laughs) That was interesting. That's when I started realizing, because I was working for kind of a conservative radio station, and that's when I was realizing that my values were starting to veer in a different direction than what they were. Uh, between 17 and 20, you know, 21. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't start to make that transition until I was probably 25 because people ask me all the time, well, how come, you know, you're in World War II, how come you never joined the military? My answer is, well, I didn't I didn't find an affection and an appreciation for the military until I was in my late 20s. As as an 18, 19-year-old, I was a, I was a little shit asshole, 
And my whole thing is, I want to be a nonconformist. I'm not going to join the military, have them strip away my identity, shave my head, and make me act like everybody else. Blah, blah, blah. I was just a dipshit dickhead. And so I didn't have the mentality and the appreciation and the education about the military back then as I do now. I was, once again, you know, I was... I was angry, I was poor, I had long hair, and, and you know, it was fucked the system. I'm going to be a, I want to, you know, and, and like a lot of 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds are, you can't hold it against them. You, you know, it's male hormones going through the ceiling, and that's why the hippies back in the day, back when they were protesting Vietnam, the saying they had back in was, don't trust anybody over 30. Well, there's two hey. reasons for that. One, people over 30 have 30 years worth of life experience, and their policies and idealisms tend to change because they have life education. And two, as we see with these Antifa fucks, um, 17, 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old kids, they're easy to manipulate when it comes to idealism and beliefs. It's easy because they tend to go with the sway of their local clique and group. And so you have some social outcast who really doesn't have friends. He's looking for a place to belong. And he finds, and it's just like, you know, kids in the inner city, why they join street gangs. I'm sure if you track down most of these Antifa kids, they're probably... Middle class, upper, you know, lower upper class kids who, you know, they're kind of social rejects. They've grown up, you know, on the Internet and they have no social skills. And so they find this cause. They think it's sweet. You know, I can go out and bust shit up. I can, you know, F corporate America and, you know, they can get out their teenage angst. And I'm sure a lot of them, when they get to 30, they're going to look back at their 18, 19s and be completely ashamed. But once again, we all go through that transition and, you know, whether it's, you know, punk band or, you know, street gang or whatever it is, you know, a lot of us go through that. <clears throat> and, and so everybody has to find their own path and they have to find their own way to deal with it. Absolutely. And, uh, just, uh, we'll continue on down the path. Um, so I was basically in Montana for a while. Uh, I was there from 96 to 98, uh, straight through. I left, I came back to Ohio with the intention on moving on back to Montana, but, Found some tail, and you know I let my emotions run on, wild on that one because uh, it was the first one I really I, I think I really had a connection with. You found and, some tail, and you stole my jet ski. Absolutely. <laughs> Wait, I didn't steal it. I just broke it. No. But, uh, um. See. Um. <laughs> going back a little bit, my dad had a thing where he liked us to earn our own way, and rightfully so. So the S10 truck that Gordon had lost got recirculated, <laughs> upcycled, and sold to me. So my dad had a car that he and my brother paid off a majority of it. Then he drove it for a while, um, pulled some large boats with it that it couldn't handle, blew the clutch out. The clutch got replaced for the second time. And then I bought it off of him. But that happened when I was 17 or 18. When I was, you know, we grew up on a pontoon boat. <clears throat> and I <laughs> I was in love with the fantasy of a wave runner or a jet ski. Oh, yeah. All I wanted was a jet ski. That was me. I wanted a jet ski, wanted a jet ski, and I talked, some, somebody's dad told me never to buy a used jet ski because um, after a while they'd just take a ship. Yeah, and I think I was uh, in Kentucky at the time that the jet ski thing was happening because I came up and it was there. And so my dad went out to a lo local motorcycle shop and he bought a used, this was 97, so he bought like a 1993 Yamaha Wave Runner, no, it was 1991 Yamaha Wave Runner 3. It had a total of two cylinders and a massive engine of 55 horses, I believe. And I was happier than a puppy with two Peters, you know. We had we had a pontoon boat, which basically acted as a floating dock. My dad would barbecue on it. And I had 16 years old, and I'm on a way runner and zipping around Deer Creek up in Ohio. 
And then Gordon Mosey's back to town, and it's his 18th birthday at this point. <laughs> and my dad decided, well, what a better what gift to give to an 18-year-old, and what a better way to save some cash than to make the Wave Runner his 18th birthday present, too. So now my 16th birthday present was being shared with my brother for his 18th birthday. How is that stealing? It was not me who did the stealing. <laughs> and so I would say that's worse than any regifting on you know in Seinfeld history. Yeah, um, it was he a bad double idea gifted on that. <laughs> anyway, and at a certain point, you were out with your girlfriend, and you guys rolled the wave runner, uh, wave runner over, and at that, and it never started again. Nope. And I'll just, I'll just wrap this up real quick. Um, at a certain point, I got married. The wave runner was left with me after everybody moved out of state again, and it still wasn't running. My dad took it to the dealership. He took it to a place in Kentucky. Even called Yamaha, they promised to fly out, you know, under our dime, fly out a technician to fix it. Uh, the motorcycle mechanic at his work, you know, redid all the heads. Uh, we took out the choke and put a K&N air filter and a high-end carburetor in there. This thing was souped up and ready to go, but it still would not start. And no one could understand why this goddamn thing wouldn't start. So it sat in my mother-in-law's yard for about four years, and I got divorced, and I took it down to the my mom's property on the Ohio river back in the trailer Gordon used to live in and stashed it up on the hillside for another three years. And then when I found, when I found myself in Kentucky, my uncle called me and said, you know, what's with this wave runner down here? Your cousin's asking about it. I said, well, I'll tell you what, the thing doesn't run. It's been sitting on a trailer for five years now, even if I could get it working, I couldn't afford insurance or gas for it. It's a huge thorn in my side. I will send you the registration. Consider it yours. So I gave him the jet ski. Um, our cousin was working on it one day, and he had the top flipped up, and his buddy was sitting there, and they were drinking beer, and his buddy had his hand on the little black kill switch on the handlebar. For those of you who've never been on a treadmill or a wave runner, there is a kill switch with a bracelet that you attach to your wrist so that when you fall into the water, it kills the engine so the wave runner doesn't drive away from you. He got a mild shock when they were trying to turn it over. And... Despite the workings of boat mechanics, despite the hours and hours of long-distance phone calls with Yamaha and other places, and despite the fact that three boat mechanics worked on this thing, no one ever thought to check the device whose job it is to prevent the engine from turning on. <laughs> the most obvious <laughs> problem. And so after all this time, my cousin gets on the internet, he buys a new kill switch for $25 and has a used, underpowered, but completely rebuilt 1991 Yamaha Wave Runner 3 and all the Ohio River to race it up on. Oh man, I would have loved to got that out there. I got to ride Matt's uh, Ski-Doo out on the Ohio River. That was fun. So back to you. You're, you're back from Kentucky. You just stole my jet ski. Yep. Uh, and this is actually before I moved to Montana, so we're a little out of order here. Um, but then that kind of leads me to everything that happens. It gets me to Montana. There for a while, I come back. I meet a chick. I'm just kind of doing a quick circle back. And uh, stayed. Um, was going to go. Met another one. Stayed. And then that didn't work out. Ended up back in Kentucky. Um, it's about 2001. Um, so it was just the 90s was just a, a shit show for me. And uh, I said, you know what? I am going back. go back to Montana. I just, I can't, I'm waiting tables. Uh, first time I've ever been robbed was down here, you know, at the Applebee's in Florence on Turfway Road. 
And uh, said, you know what? I'm, I'm just out. So I saved, you know, a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, nine millimeter to the face will do that to somebody. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know what? I'm going back. I'm out. And uh, went back to Montana with the idea to root down, waited tables. From there, it was kind of a fast track. I met the uh, guy who was uh, running the maintenance there for the resort, all the inside stuff, and uh, the buildings. And he was an electrical contractor. Well, during my drifting days, I also started an electrical apprenticeship, you know, trying to go the right path. Uh, I think it was with the second girl I was with that I stayed for. And uh, I said, let's go. And, you know, we uh, he hired me. See, I, I worked that first season back as a server and then got to ride every day. And then he hired me on at the Summit Hotel, which was a brand new hotel for night shift. So this is the first time I'm in Montana that I don't have to get up at 5 in the morning to go to work. I can actually get a powder day. So that was great. I uh, did that for a while, uh, for one season. Then he approached me about uh, becoming his apprentice. He's actually been working there for a couple of years with networking. And he started an electrical contracting company, so I was his first uh, employee. Served my apprenticeship there. Big Sky was just getting crazy expensive, uh, especially on an apprentice wage. Was with another girl, and she moved to Vegas, and I followed her down here. Well, for those um, who don't know, what exactly is apprenticeship program, and why is it so damn important? Apprenticeship program is going to be the practical application of everything you're learning in your apprenticeship program, uh, which sounds redundant, but there is the education part with the, the books and the schooling. And uh, I served mine through what's called correspondence. So instead of going to a classroom setting and sitting down with a bunch of stinky fuckers who just got off of work all day, um, you do it online. Uh, I did mine through the uh, uh, North Dakota State College of Science. And uh, it was actually pretty intense. I was horrible at math. I mean, math was like my weakest thing. Um, and this will be kind of a theme to what, how I got to where I'm at now and hopefully we'll be moving further up. But um, so I, I seized it, man. I, I said, you know, I'm not going to let math beat me. It literally is just a set of rules. And evidently that's what I was fighting, which made sense with, you know, the way I was in my 20s. So we – uh. I did my apprenticeship. I had to work. What's kind of interesting, uh, the way Montana set it up on correspondence is you got to have a certain amount of book work done at, uh, in conjunction with your hours that you worked, which is called on-the-job training. So I, uh, if I worked more, I had to have more schoolwork done. It really kind of just crammed everything. And I was working seven days a week, 12 hours a day sometimes. Now I got to go home and do that much work, more work, you know. But uh, it worked out well. I got to start seeing things. I helped the guy build the company up. I, I like to think to a, a, a point where he got a bunch more electricians before I left uh, from the beginning, you know. So I got to see a lot of the struggles with a, a company from its inception to – or pretty close to its inception to uh, doing, uh, doing decent and making some money. Um, but I moved down here, and uh, it was rough. Uh <laughs> Well, I mean, it's Vegas. It's 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 the place where gamblers go to die. Yeah, but fortunately, I don't gamble. However, the girl I I came down here with did, and I would come home with money because I hadn't quite found my electrical gig yet. I was kind of looking at a couple of companies, needed to make money in the short term. So hey, let's go back to waiting tables. Here's my fallback, right? So I went back to waiting tables. I'd have cash at the home at night. Go back, come back. She's gone. She's the one at the casino spending the money pissed me off 
And uh, she had her safety net too. Her stepdad always bought things. So it's, again, that whole safety net's not necessarily a good thing when it's abused. Um, but I got on with a, a company down here. It was a smaller company, but it was a good one. I was there between 2007 and I left in 14. And I went from topping out my apprenticeship all the way up to project management and estimating. So when the economy crashed, it was kind of interesting. A lot of guys said, I'm not going to take my pay cut. So they're going to go on the dole. I'm like, I'm going to take my pay cut. And then I'm going to use what I learn to be in the office before by time things came back. And I had a goal of being in the office by the time I was 45. I was in the office by the time I was 36. Nice. So not too shabby. Because you got on the grind. You found out what you wanted to do. Um, and you realize your shortcomings and then you needed to overcome them. And so you found your path and, and you chased it. Absolutely. Um, I ended up, but our, my living situation kind of ended up horrible. Uh, I was actually in a budget suites for a while. Well, I can imagine so, because she, you're in Vegas. The cost of living is not much cheaper than LA. And so when you're renting a cheap ass apartment, you're in a bad side of town. Yeah, um, actually, we're still pretty cheap compared to L.A., but um, it's definitely, you know... It's, it's definitely just a whole lot expensive than Boone County, Kentucky, is what I'm getting oh, at. Absolutely, but uh, but without the sales tax, or the income tax, which, you know, we enjoy. But, um, yeah, I, so I had a friend there. He, he was an older guy. He delivered, he did our deliveries. He was our delivery driver, and he saw the shit I was going through with Rod, and he said, look, you know, why don't you come live with me, you know, get you up on your feet. So it was a guy holding his hand out saying, Hey, I'll help you out. I can tell you're a good dude. And, uh, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I'm glad I did because I ended up not living with him, but his daughter who was our age, she had a house, but she really needed help because the economy was getting a little shaky. Um, she was freshly divorced. So she had a huge three bedroom house that's three stories. And, uh, I, I would take one of the rooms in the basement or actually ground level. And that's when I met my wife was during that period of time, which is not her. Um, I uh, met my wife online, did the online dating thing because my thoughts were, well, I could go to a bar. But what am I going to run into? Because this is what I've run into, you know. I'm going to be a lush, drug addict. Well, and this wasn't an easy decision either because back then the whole online thing was still new. And it was kind of frowned upon to be one of those weirdos who's going on the internet to look for strangers. Absolutely, you know, uh, and you, you know the, the the consensus I remember at the time is why go online? Aren't you afraid you're going to run into creeps, dude? You're going to run into creeps everywhere, mm-hmm. especially in Vegas. They, <laughs> yeah, I'd say probably in Florida too, but uh, you, you know, it just it's uh, we met and uh, it's been on since. It was kind of cool though. I, I I actually did the uh, we we left and uh, you know we were going our separate ways. She goes, you know what? I got a party tonight. Come with me. And I'm the one who said no. Uh, I will meet you. Go ahead to your party. I'll meet you another, you know, another time. Nice. And uh, I think that worked out well because it's so easy to just go, man, I need some pussy. Mm-hmm. Let's go. You Absolutely. know, and, uh, you know, I just uh, kept my head on my shoulders and and uh, been working since. So I'm glad I went into the And at the, some point first, you got headhunted from the quality job you had into a, a far more prestigious role. And basically you're on your way to accomplishing you know, as far as uh, the career path you're in, you're you're basically moving your way on up the, on the ladder just by hard work. I mean, you, to this day, you and I, you know, you you don't have a college diploma. 
No, I don't. You have a horrible, shitty grade point average in yes, high school. I did. And so you were able to achieve what most people have to go to college, maybe get an electrical engineering degree and things like that. Um, but you did it all through perseverance, no college education. Um, yes, you did your apprenticeship and, you know, and your, your testing and all that, but you didn't go down the normal path that, you know, growing up in the nineties, everyone said you had to take in order to be successful. Yeah. Go to college. So everybody gets the same freaking business degree and now fighting for jobs with everybody's got the same degree driving the, uh, pay and the compensation for said job down. You know, I, I, I'm actually just amazed. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm rich at any stretch of the imagination. Uh, there's more I want to do. But you're a but, homeowner. Yeah, uh, yeah. We own two properties. Uh, not outright. Unfortunately, it's it's a lot of mortgage debt. One of them's a rental property, and as soon as that thing goes above water because it was purchased uh, right at the top of everything getting ready to crumble, we held on. You know, we're but, not going. And that was probably one of the most responsible things I had done besides meet Katina was uh, say, no, we're not going to let this thing go as much as we want to. What am I going to do? I'm going to end up in an apartment again, paying more than what I'm paying now in rent. When am I going to get out? It doesn't make sense. And not to talk numbers, but I would say, to, I would say it's safe to say from going from driving hoopty cars um, that you had to park on a hill to start uh, to getting robbed at a restaurant that you worked at. Um, being a snowboard bum for years, no formal education, some student loans that you had to pay off because you didn't complete the schoolings, um, to being, I would say, easily lower upper class. I say you're well on your way. Yeah, I nah, I still consider it's pretty, still pretty much middle, middle class. You have to make a lot more money these days to be there. Um, I want to get there. Sure. Uh, and it's not about the money. It's about the – I'm tired of – Having to worry constantly about mm -hmm. the money, absolutely. You know, I'm, and, and letting that drive. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still going to drive you because that's what's going to make you go to work and do what you need to do, is taking care of your family. Um, I think I've done pretty well in the last ten years on doing that, and I continue to want to. Um, but you just gotta, you just gotta grind. I mean, you are the only one that's going to help yourself at the end of the day. Absolutely. And, and I had an epiphany about three months ago, maybe a year ago. It's hard to be rich, but it's easy not to be destitute. You really have to try, as far as not trying, to be flat-busted, fucking broke. Um, at least in Florida, I know you can make more monthly by getting a full-time job at Wendy's or McDonald's than you will on that monthly check from welfare. I think on this dole, you'll make $500, $600 a month. Anybody can go to any Wendy's, McDonald's, Walmart and work probably half part-time, 12, 24 hours a week and make more than that in a month. So you really have to try to be flat-busted broke. Like I said, it's hard to be rich, but it is not, it's easy not to be destitute. Um, and so if you're out there and you're struggling, you know, you're, you're listening to this and you're in a one-bedroom apartment, you know, you're, your boyfriend's a dick, he's out running around on you or your girlfriend's out spending your money or what have you. And you're looking around and you're thinking, is this all life has to offer me? And you're, and you're 18, 20 years old. Just fucking grind. Um, we've all been there. Uh, like I said, I, I have a learning disability. Um, when I graduated high school, I did not have to take the math and science 
proficiency test because they knew I wouldn't pass it. To this day, I cannot even do short division. I cannot do math at all. Um, ironically, when it comes to doing this sort of thing, I've gotten better at it over the last few years, but I like to explain to people, I'm like a broken radio. I get the signal in when it comes to reading, but when I try to read aloud, things get a little scrambled and, and the signal's not that great. So I have a great receiver, but my my you know, my amplifier's not that great when it sends the signal out, but I've gotten better on that. <laughs> but you just got to go out and grind. Um, if you're not happy with your station in life, the most important thing I can say to you, it's easier to find a job when you have a job. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the same same as it's easier to find a girlfriend when you already have a girlfriend. Um, I don't know if maybe you're not as desperate. I don't know if the employer looks at you and says, well, if you're good enough for so-and-so, you're good enough for me. So, you know, you're sitting around, you're broke, you're, you're struggling, bill collectors are calling, and you don't have a gig because you can't find the gig that you want. <coughs> you got to go out and get the gig you don't want and just work it. Get two of those Absolutely. gigs. Absolutely. You just got to learn how to work. I mean, that, and at the end of the day, and 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 get along with people, and, and negotiate, and navigate through a workday with various personality types, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and um, you, and you may not have a car, and I've talked to people this way too. I don't have a, I don't have a motor, tra- tra- motor transportation. Look, unless you're a complete social reject, you catch a ride with somebody, whether it's the bus, your 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 family members, whatever. You work at a place for two weeks, you will find somebody who has the same schedule as you, who drives. And like I said, unless you're a complete social reject, I'm sure that person will happily pick you up and bring you to work with them when they're working the same shift if you kick them down some gas money. So the transportation argument is really not that much of an argument. It all comes down to what you want, your ability to work, and realizing that half of your excuses, and I've, and I've done this and Gordon has done this, Half your excuses of why you cannot succeed is complete bullshit, and it's just a justification for your bad decisions. Yeah, also known as getting in your own fucking way. Absolutely. And so, you know, if you're out there, look, we did it. Um, we're by no means loaded, but I'm, you know, I'm a homeowner now. Um, I've been running a business for 14 years. I'm getting ready to launch a second one. I'm by no means rich, but I have a nice car. I got a nice house, and I got food on the table and had a great Thanksgiving. And it's all through grinding. For the last five and a half years, when I worked at a radio station, I'd get up at five in the morning, work until noon, go to the radio station from noon until six o'clock at night, come home and eat, and either go to the gym or go back to work, or if I was lucky, stay home. And that's what you have to do. You got to grind. You got to chase it. Figure out what you want. If you have a passion, but you can't do it because you have a job, find a way to work both of them in. Absolutely. And I think one thing to keep in mind, um, I think that will help push, at least it helped push me along, and there's been some studies on it for happiness and, and what people can consider success. Is yes. You don't want to, you don't want to test the, or I'm sorry, you don't want to um, chase the dollar an hour and getting paid by the hour. You want to get paid, paid by, by the, the result. Job. And by you know? the result, yes. <clears throat> and so, you know, just to wrap things up, kind of the whole thing and, 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 theme of this podcast and you know it'll fluctuate a little bit depending on the guest not you know um we'll have some guests who maybe didn't have a rough childhood but still found success in their own way um but the whole purpose and this is only episode two we have three of them up but one of them was an interview that i did with morgan the moose morgan the moose right morgan moose right from american ninja warrior i just kind of threw up in here because it was a positive uplifting podcast and and 
I'm going to quote uh, the comedian Joe Coy, who says this on his podcast, you are what you consume. Absolutely. And if you're watching negative crap all day long, if your old lady is sitting around the house watching Investigation Discovery, where people are getting killed, and she's binge-watching it, and binge-watching it, and binge-watching it, it will have some effect. Yes, you will never do anything right. You will are what you consume. And so... The whole purpose of this podcast, and because I'm going to be honest, I was jaded. I was a bit of an asshole for many years, um, but I had the unfortunate, um, I don't want to say opportunity. I found myself in a position where I watched a loved one die back in September, and that completely changed my outlook on life. Um, yeah, it's short. That's for it's sure. short. It's unexpected. Um and, you know, cliches are cliches and worn out for a reason, but the whole live your life, to, you know, live each day like the last, it's fucking true. This person who died was delivering meals on wheels one day, uh, walking mile and a half every morning, didn't smoke, never really drank, and <coughs> lights out. Yep. And so I'm trying to do my part to add a little bit of positivity into the negative world that is known as the internet. And so, kind of what we're hoping to get to by Sharon Gordon and a little bit of my life history is, by all um, boundaries and all expectations, um, you and I should not be as far as we are in this life if we would have followed the bullshit guidelines that were set forth for people a long time ago. And that's one of the beautiful things about now with the internet is people are able to find a way to um, create jobs for themselves and to get out of poverty through non-traditional means. And so whatever it is, man, if it, like I said, you're struggling right now and you're in your twenties, guess what? It's part of growing up. It's the hazing of life. Everybody, you know, unless you're born, you know, unless your dad's a multimillionaire, you know, if you're like 99.9% of us in this world, whose parents are working class or lower class or what have you, or immigrants, um, your 20s are, they're supposed to fucking suck. That's why your 30s are so great. So, you know, you're in your 20s. Hell, even if you're in your 30s, man, and things are rough, fucking grind on. Just get out there and find your cause and find a partner. You cannot yeah. succeed in the modern day life on a single income. It's fucking impossible. And it's not just the income, but it's the actual relationship and, and having somebody to share life with uh, wow. as humans. We're well, meant to be that way. Well, absolutely. You know, relationships, all those rules are already set. But my, what I'm getting at is find somebody who has the same motor. Find somebody absolutely. who has the same desire to grind because you shacking up with a piece of ass who doesn't want to work for a living is not going to do anything but anchor your boat. Yep, right around your neck. So, you know, maybe hit it, quit it, and send it down the line. But don't, you know, as... The, as the old hip-hop saying goes, you can't make a hoe a housewife. So, you know, you got to find a partner. And, you know, let's be honest. You may be a homosexual. You may be a lesbian. Whatever. Find a life partner who has the same desire to be successful in life through whatever measures and means you have. Um, yeah. Don't let somebody hold you back. Um, the terminology I used for when I divorced my first wife is I wasn't going to be the train conductor on anybody else's free ride. 
Yeah, absolutely. I remember you saying that a lot. Yeah, we got a. Your partner has to be in the boat with you, rowing in the same direction, or it's it's going to be a, a miserable life. But you know, I I I think uh, I'm a fairly positive individual, and I think it really reflects through how I do things and um, my outlook. And and it's all I think what it comes down to is because if you're in that rut and you can't see above the walls, your outlook's going to be down there with the shit, you know, everything else. And two so more things, the, you know, I was a negative person all the way up until my 20s, and my livelihood reflected that. I was bouncing around. I didn't have security. I didn't have a decent job. I had no education. I was just being well with me, you know, D- Donnie Downer, and just, you know, trying to find ways to, you know, uh, tamp down my demons instead of trying to change my outlook on life. And so... Once again, if you're in your 20s and your early 30s, man, just keep grinding. And one more piece of advice that will take you a long way. Look at your circle of friends. If you hang out with turds, you're going to get shit on. And so find those turds and flush them out of your life. I mean, you may have a long, long relationship with these people, but they may be constantly borrowing money off you or constantly asking you to get them out of trouble. And... You know, I'm sure if you're in your 30s or maybe early 40s and they're that age, you know, you can try and try and try. And and I know some people like this too. I haven't quite flushed out yet. But um, at a certain point, you got to ask, is the work worth it? And if you're able to work with these people and it not have a negative impact on your life directly, then cool. Keep trying to uh, make do the, the good thing and, and help them find the, the straight and narrow. But if these people are crashing on your couch, ruining your relationships, they're costing you money financially, uh, they borrow your car and get drunk and wreck it, just cut them out. Just cut them out. You don't need the drama in your life. Find some positive shit. Stay off of Twitter, for God's sake, and uh, just grind. Go out and grind. Hopefully you found something positive in this 104-minute interview we did. Uh, This show's, you know, we're we're two episodes in. We're finding our way. Um, I appreciate you all tuning in. Gordon, thank you so much for... uh, joining us tonight and sharing your story and hopefully maybe just maybe we can help hell in the mind state i'm in because i just recently lost a childhood friend um i don't know what the cause was um but i have my speculations in the words of george watsky the hip-hop artist when life breaks your leg go and beat it with your crutch don't let the bullshit get you down Especially to the point where you do something stupid. Um, if you need help, find somebody, ask for help, don't be afraid. But fucking grind. And I came up with another analogy a while back for Dave. I was talking to Dave because we both skateboarded and I knew he, he would get this. When you get those brand new trucks, they really don't move that good. When you're trying to do smith grinds and grind them on the curb. You have to scrape before you can grind. So if you have nothing going on, find something to scrape, man. Go out, get two or three jobs, scrape it together, do some shit on the side. You know, legal shit. Don't do anything illegal. But just do whatever you can do to make money. Find something that you know how to do, Something whether it's mowing grass, fixing, you know, whatever. Just hustle. you got to scrape before you can grind. So start scraping, and before you know it, you'll be grinding. And just keep pushing, man, and you'll get there. Yes, you will. And I think that's a great place to leave off. Gordon, thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon. All right, bye. Bye.
Cool, man. Hey, Dave's here, so I want to go uh, save this and get started with him. Not a problem. I'm going to like try to get some topics, and maybe we'll throw a what's in your head around. You cool. know, sounds good. Next week. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye.